You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Uh, hey everyone, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am Shane Spiker. And your co-host Ryan O. And we are here with Tyra Sellers, and we are going to talk about supervision today. And Legos. Ooh. And Legos. <laughs> and Legos. <laughs> All right, we are here with Tyra Sellers, Dr. Tyra Sellers. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, super excited to talk about the subject matter today, which is uh, mostly about supervision and what that looks like. And uh, so I guess what we can do is just if you want to introduce yourself to the world, that would be fantastic. Give our listeners an idea of what you do and who you are. And Oh, okie dokie. Well, um, you were right. My name is Tyra Sellers, so <laughs> check. Um <laughs> I, uh, yes, winning already. Um, I'm faculty at Utah State University. I'm originally from California, from the Bay Area. What's up, Vallejo? That's my people. Um, let's see. Uh, I teach here um, undergrad, master's, and grad level courses. Uh, I think I said grad twice, doctoral level courses. Um, and I have a clinic where we assess and treat individuals with severe problem behavior, do a lot of school district contracting. Um, and what do I like to do? I, I like to, I like to talk to two of my colleagues, Amber Valentino and Linda LeBlanc about supervision cause we're nerds. And I like to garden and ski and read and hang out with my dog who's super cute. And I guess sort of hang out with my two teenagers. They're kind of crusty right now, but I still love them. So <laughs> that's kind of what I do. Kind of crusty. Very cool. Like yeah, <laughs> well, you know, they're sort of morose most of the time. Yeah. Well, one of them more than the other, but whatever, I digress. My, my, <laughs> I hang out with my kids. They're awesome. Yeah. How'd you just stumble into just psychology in general or, you know, behavioral sciences? So um, I, have, I have always worked with individuals with special needs ever since I was in elementary school. I was like the kid who would tutor. I wasn't cool and I hung out with whomever. And so I always worked in this field, um, serving individuals with unique and special needs. Um, I started out as a psych major. I didn't go to high school, um, but I went to community college and I started out as a psych major. Uh, and I and I really hated my psych classes because sort of everybody was like, well, let me tell you about my problem. And I was like, whoa, maybe I don't actually <laughs> want to listen to other people's problems all my life. So I switched and became a philosophy major, which is a super useful degree to have. So I have a bachelor's in philosophy. Um, and I thought, you know, I like to argue. I like to talk a lot. I'll go to law school and I'll do special ed law. So I did that, but I hated law school. And meanwhile, I'm still working in um, the field serving individuals with special needs. So I uh, been, had been working at a, a school that provided behavior analytic services for individuals with severe problem behavior for a really long time. So I finished law school and had like a minor identity crisis. And this is back in the 90s when the field for behavior analysis wasn't, there wasn't a clear path towards it, particularly in the Bay Area, in California where I'm from. But I, I guess I figured out at some point that I could actually have a career doing what I had been doing. So eventually I got my master's um, in special education, so not psychology, uh, and then eventually my PhD. So sort of just because I, I always worked in the field, I started out doing in-home respite work and uh, paraprofessional and, you know, you name it. So uh, yeah, that's 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Love it. I'm always interested in how people uh, get into the field because it's so different. Um, for all of us. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, I, it, there seems to be like this running theme where it's always kind of like, uh, you know, somebody starts in the field and they're like, I don't know what I want to do. This sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. And they, they kind of like, like they may have, they might be oriented to that already, but then yes. they end up like, they go, okay, this sounds neat. I'm going to do this. And then they end up falling in love with behavior analysis. That's exactly what happened with me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I tried to get out of the field several times, right? So I went to law school thinking that would be a more legit job. And then after I graduated with my degree, uh, then I thought, you know, I'll become a speech language pathologist. So I started in a master's program and my husband was like, seriously, you literally just graduated. I can't do this again right now. We need a break. Um, but it just kept pulling me back in. So, and I'm very glad that it's been my career. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so then as you're, as you're getting into behavior analysis and you're starting your, you know, your education and your, your professional career path, what made you get into supervision? Well, like I think in, in our field in behavior analysis, um, if you're doing clinical work, you, you have, like, you're kind of forced into it because it's a model that we use, like a lot of other helping professions, psychology, speech pathology, social work, um, you know, there's a requirement to do experience hours and those hours have to be supervised. And any job you work in anywhere ever, there's going to be some degree of supervision, whether or not you have a supervisor or you are supervising somebody or you're sandwiched between having to supervise and having a supervisor. So, I mean, it's not, I don't, I think it's something everybody's into everybody has to do um to some degree you know we have to interact with supervisees or supervisors so you kind of can't get away from it um but but maybe your question is like why why do i love it like why did i make it an area of emphasis yeah because it's really easy to be bad at it um i think in my opinion, I think it's really, really hard to be an excellent supervisor. It's sort of like writing. You have to work really, really hard to be an okay writer. Um, I think you have to work really, really hard to be a, an okay supervisor. Uh, and I think if we, especially in a helping profession, if you value the, the clients, the consumers that you're serving, then you absolutely have to value supervising because your supervision will impact indirectly and directly the consumers, right? So like I work, let's say in the field of serving individuals with autism and other intellectual disabilities. If I truly care about those individuals, if I truly put them first, then I also have to do the same for people that I'm going to expect to interact with those individuals. So my staff, um, I have to be equally passionate about both in my opinion. That's great. Yeah. I, and that's so necessary. Um, you know, and I think that that you kind of touched on that important point where it's like, you know, it definitely directly impacts those individuals, but it also can indirectly and long-term impact those individuals. So, um, right. And later we're going to talk about kind of supervisory experiences and kind of talking about what that looks like, but I, I kind of, reeling it back a little bit what is supervision for people that don't know because I, I i think i realized i jumped the gun a little bit and i was like why do you like supervision then i'm kind of like but people are like maybe what what is it so what is supervision yeah. and why does it matter i think supervision can be difficult to define i think we sort of use a lot of terms interchangeably that that maybe if we really sat down and thought about it they wouldn't be interchangeable like managing supervising mentoring i think they're all distinct um but for supervision in particular 
essentially, for me, that is someone with some degree of expertise, ensuring that an individual has, acquires and maintains certain skill sets um, and content knowledge. And so that's a little bit different than managing, which maybe is more about sort of the logistics only, right? Like, did you clock in? Did you fill out that piece of paperwork? So supervision often will encompass management. um, And that's different than mentoring, which is sort of not as maybe focused on developing skill set, discrete skill sets, but maybe refining skill sets, being exposed to um, higher order thinking on skills that you're really solid with or broadening and learning new areas. Um, so more nuanced guidance with your skills. Um, and I think supervision probably for many individuals moves into mentorship once you've had a supervisory relationship for a while. So, so for me, supervision really is that sort of evaluating whether or not someone does or does not have skills. And if they do have some skills, maybe strengthening them and making sure they maintain. And if they don't have skills, uh, helping them acquire those skills um, and ensuring that they're usable. And when I say skills, I say that broadly. So I'm talking, I uh, sort of adhere to the mindset that even in any particular profession, there are discrete technical skill sets, there's content knowledge, right? But then there are sort of what some people call softer skills, like effective communication, time management, organization. And I think all of those are important too. So. Okay. Okay. Ryan, you have, you want to add anything to that? What I like about that is it's, these are different skill sets, right? And they're oftentimes lumped together. And um, one thing that I ran into recently, I guess recently-ish, like the last like three to five years of my career was the difference between um, just business administration, uh, the management side, uh, the entrepreneurship angle, like there's all a lot of different skill sets that go into those. So it resonates with me. I like it. Good, good. I'm glad. I think there's one, there's, there's one piece I think that that falls into supervision sometimes um, that a lot of people miss. Um, if you are supervising people who will go on to supervise, or, to supervise other people, so in, in my field, uh, that's a big part of the people that I'm working with, right? They're, they're going to go on to eventually become supervisors. And so I think if you're supervising in that capacity, you also have an added requirement that you need to make sure that those individuals will develop skill sets to be effective supervisors as well. So there's the doing and then there's knowing how to get other people to do. Uh, And so that's that's a separate thing that not everybody who supervises has to worry about developing in their supervisees. But for me, I do um, just because that's the nature of our field. Is there is there any um, other professions that maybe like pave the path that you like look to or any sort of, you know, like, where do you kind of grab from when we're talking about supervision, um, whether it's like effective practices or places where you're just like, maybe dispelling myths, you know, like, is there anything out there? Um, I mean, I, I try to grab from wherever things look good. I think early on, my approach to supervision was probably shaped by psychologists that I worked with. And so that, you know, that field relies heavily on a supervisory model, a mentorship um, model. I've also worked really closely with speech language pathologists and they have uh, a pretty intense model in terms of clinical fellowship year and supervised practice and things like that. So I, I think I draw a lot from those professions, rehab counseling, sociology, but 
Uh, my husband, who does not work in this field at all, he's not a behavior analyst, he's not a psychologist, he's more of a hard science guy, right? He's got like a degree in meteorology and he's into coding and that kind of thing. Um, he has had some jobs, for example, working uh, when I was in grad school at Walmart and um, he worked in a huge distribution center uh, and he would share with me some of the strategies that they use there. And, you know, Walmart that's a big corporation and they've got some stuff nailed down. Um, and I would borrow some of the strategies that he would tell me about from that company. So I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people doing a lot of things, right. And I just, I try to keep, I try to keep an eye out and see, you know, especially if it's around keeping people motivated or developing a healthy relationship, a collaborative relationship, a relationship where both the supervisor and the supervisee feel committed to doing the hard work that sometimes it takes when people yeah. are learning new things. Uh, so yeah, I mean, still, still a lot from the helping professions. Um, but, but I think business practices also they're getting very savvy at how to motivate people and how to streamline things. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm easy when it comes, <laughs> I, I sleep around a lot when it comes to buying, uh, practices from other professions. Open to what works. That's right. right. Yeah, I probably, yeah. I probably yeah. wouldn't have said sleep around. I probably would have said that. I would, yeah, valuable maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can say what you want. Cool. I'm cool with that. Shane, I don't, I don't have our guiding questions up, so you want to tie us back? Yeah, in? yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, I because I think that one thing that maybe behavior analysts have a hard time with is looking at literature outside of our own field. Uh, and I think that being able to kind of pull from that and pull from different practices and different uh, professions, I think is important. Um, you know, I know that when I first came in as a supervisor, uh, my perspective was so just entrenched in and narrow in behavior analytic work that um, I probably missed some of those things that were effective outside of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if you look at surveys that have been done asking in our field, you know, what, what are some barriers to um, accessing even behavior analy analytic literature or other literature? It's, it's time, right? It's not a billable activity or I just, I don't have the time to do it. And so I think um, researchers and people who were, that is their primary area of focus, we need to do better um, and kind of follow suit with some of the publications um, in our journals and, and other professional journals, psych journals, uh, you know, health profession journals, where there are articles that kind of synthesize practices from other related helping fields so that we can continue to learn. So, yeah. um, because not everybody has the opportunity to read those primary sources. Yeah, for sure. So speaking about the supervisor supervisee relationship, you've kind of talked about that and touched on it a little bit. Um, and kind of talked about this idea that you supervise people who are eventually going to be supervisors. Mm -hmm. What was your supervisory experience like? Cause I know what mine was like. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and everybody kind of has a different experience. And what I've kind of learned is that some people learn what they want to be as a supervisor and some people learn what they don't want to be as a supervisor. Um, and in my personal experience, I was able to pull a lot of really good things from three or four different people, even though I really truly only had one formal supervisor. Um, so that was a lot of my experience, but what was yours? What was your experience like as a supervisee? That's a really good question. Um, Without throwing anybody under the bus, of course. I'm not trying no, to put you in know, a spot like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, again, as we talked about early on, you know, 
supervision isn't unique to behavior analysis. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been around a while and I've had a lot of jobs and I also, you know, early in my career, even when I was still working in special ed or working at a group home, I had other jobs too. And so I think my experience as a supervisee has been shaped not just by behavior analytic type jobs, right? Like, so I had this job um, working at Emporium, which is sort of like a low rent Macy's for people <laughs> who don't know back in the day. Um, and I worked in the men's department. I was like 16 and I thought I was super cool. I had this job. I don't know. It paid like $6 and 10 cents an hour, which was like way above minimum wage back then. <laughs> um, and I had a supervisor who was just very like, clear in what was expected of us and um, wasn't af afraid to give corrective feedback and did so like in a very respectful way, right? And had things well organized and I felt valued. And so as a teenager in this job, I think I early on got some really good supervisory modeling, um, even though that person was not a behavior analyst. I mean, I think they were like a career retail worker. In in my field in behavior analysis, you know, I came up before things were well organized like they are now. So there was no BCBA or BACB when I started. Um, and in fact, my first certification was like a joint agreement between Florida and California was contracting with them. And I think I was called a certified assistant behavior analyst or something like that, yeah, like in CBAs. the 90s. Yes, what? that was me. So, uh, but, but I was very blessed to have some really amazing supervisors and I was really probably equally or more blessed to have some really, really awful supervisors, right? People who were just checked out or were very coercive or, you know, I don't know, more interested sort of in what I could do for them um, as opposed to what they could do for me in the relationship. And like you, I was able to pull from both those positive experiences and those sort of maybe more <laughs> negative experiences, which I think is great. I think a lot of people don't do that. I think, I think a lot of individuals aren't careful and reflective about their experiences and they just sort of imitate behavior uh, that they have that they have seen other people do right so it's kind of like a parenting model right like if it worked for my kid if it worked for me my parents did this if it worked for me I'm going to use it with my kid instead of being really thoughtful about it so I appreciate you saying that Shane and people who um, can be specific and say I chose to engage in these sort of practices because I had a supervisor they they did this with me and it was effective, or I choose to not do this because other people have done that in the past with me and it didn't work well. Um, I think that's probably one of the best ways to think back on your supervisory experiences. Yeah, yeah, to be calculated about really what what you're doing with supervision and how you're interacting with people. And, and kind of like you said, like I, I was a supervisor at uh, a large retail coffee shop <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that shall not be that named. shall not be named um and i had good experiences there i had poor experiences there as super with supervisors and as a supervisor i kind of fell in that middle management area and learned what worked and what didn't work and uh i guess that probably carried over a little bit into what i expected out of supervision and in, in my job sure. so it was it's kind of neat to see how much overlay there is with how we supervise and how we manage people um and how we develop these relationships in our own field versus like what other people are doing. Like you said, like you brought up your the example of that that boss you had that at the retail store where at Emporium, where 
you know, they, he was he was really good and very clear, and kind of you were able to pull stuff from that. That's that's an, an important aspect of what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And likewise, I was. I think I had a job in a, a kitchen at fourteen. My my older sister was working there too, and that supervisor threw his keys at me. It was he was sort of like a Gordon Ramsay kind of guy before that was a thing, right? But he threw his keys at me and he like shouted at me and he called me a bad name. And of course, like I'm a teenager, I reacted by like taking my apron off and throwing it on the ground and being like, "F you, I'm out of here," and I quit. <laughs> um, but that also shaped my experience, like you know, you're a boss, you're entitled to have bad days, but you really may not have tantrums uh, <laughs> at your staff and treat them that way. So, so I think probably I was more shaped by early experiences outside of my field going in. And then, you know, then I kind of, once I had behavior analytic, analytic training, then I was able to think back on those experiences and really label what it was that was effective and wasn't, a, was not effective and try to be sensitive in uh, paying attention to the specific behaviors in my future supervisors that I like. So I'm, I'm glad that I had that a lot of jobs and, and those experiences early on. Okay. So there's a, there's a whole, if I understand this correctly, there's a whole lot of different ways in which we can experience the different supervision styles sure. that are out there. Right. And we all uniquely bring those in. Um, and then there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things out there. Some good, some not good. So what are some of the critical components to like good supervision? And I get, I get that there's not like a coverall and it's not always one. Um, so if we could kind of guide a little bit, you know, is there certain practices, certain ways you look yeah, at it? Yeah. Yeah. I think there are, I mean, I think regardless of whether or not you're supervising somebody at McDonald's or at, you know, uh, a center for kids with autism or a hospital or uh, I don't know, in a law firm, it doesn't matter. I think there really are some core components. Um, I think, and again, as you mentioned, how you express these different core components is, is going to be informed by your history and your style and hopefully maybe the style of your supervisee um, to some degree. But I think approaching supervision as a, a collaborative relationship as opposed to a, I am... He, here, supervisee, I'm going to deliver unto you some fantastic knowledge and you're going to consume it and be a better person. I was going to say, I really dig that. Um, we talk about quite a bit on the show that it's not a yeah. one-way street. One thing doesn't cause another. One thing doesn't always influence one direction. It's always That's right. Absolutely. I've got that's a lot to learn. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other side, it shouldn't be sort of from the supervisor's perspective, a passive thing where it's like, okay, supervisee, you guide me. You you tell me what you what you need or what you want. It needs to be a collaborative relationship where both people are understanding that they are both bringing things to the table, right? They both have uh, things to, to bring to bear um, and they both have things to learn. Uh, and so I think that's the first core component is that both understand that it's a, a collaborative relationship. Um, I think another clear component, um, a component is to be clear as a supervisor about what your expectations are and about what the supervisee can expect from you just to set the stage strong from the outset, right? So clearly communicating to your supervisee that the purpose of this is for me to give you some feedback about your behavior, about the skills that you're learning. And that means that there are times that you're that you're not going to do things the way that uh, eventually they need to be done. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you that, right. Um, otherwise you wouldn't need supervision. I think a, a collaborative relationship, I think clear expectations on both parts. Um, and then I think just moving forward, um, 
ensuring that you are targeting specific skills that are going to directly benefit your supervisee, whether or not it's knowledge um, content that they're acquiring, or it's an actual skill set, you know, that you're teaching them to do and you're watching them demonstrate it. And then you're giving them feedback. I have seen many people sort of just approach this as like a, we're just going to get together and talk and it's not really um, structured. And the supervisor isn't really moving forward from the perspective of there are these specific things that I have pre-thought about that I want to make sure that you, um, that you learn and that you can demonstrate. And then how you do that is up to you. I, you mentioned behavioral skills training, which in our field is an evidence-based kind of package to train people well and ensure that, that, that the things that you're training will sustain over time. You know, making sure that when you are targeting knowledge or a skill set that you explain it really explicitly to them and provide as much information as they need. Do they need it in writing? Do they need you to describe it vocally? Um, talk about why it's an important skill or knowledge set and then model using that skill or demonstrating that knowledge um, and then give your a supervisee opportunity to practice. So they need to be able to see it and they need to be able to practice so you can give them feedback. Um, so I think those are the critical components, right? So collaboration, clear expectations, moving forward with sort of a plan for the specific skills and, and knowledge you want the person to acquire or to strengthen, um, and then teach those skills in a smart way. Like be smart about how you're teaching the things that you want to teach, be purposeful about it. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we covered an episode in the past on uh, just designing instruction. So it sounds like it really is up like you can't just, um, I mean, you can walk in and just kind of go for it, but it is much more effective if you sit down, yes. link things together um, and identify what it is you're trying to achieve and then uh, start working towards evaluating the success to which Absolutely. you're doing that, right? Um, Cool. And then I guess the other one we talked about at one point on the show was uh, like a behavioral technology, right? The idea of you can package these things up to where they are usable um, much more beyond. Uh, they kind of turn into this thing that you could you could uh, potentially, it could be free, it could be paid, whatever, but you can, you can kind of pick it up like as a supervisor and then bam, now I know the tools, the process and like how to start really um, supervising well. And so do you see like supervision... Um, do you see things like that that are out there that like are whether they're effective or not that are kind of purported? Maybe I was like, this is how you become the perfect supervisor or but also I'm curious, like, do you think we'll ever get there or is it always going to be this thing that is really difficult to? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, I haven't. And we're super speculative here. Yeah, too, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't. I mean, I haven't thought about that too much in terms of sort of like prepackaged stuff. Um, in our field, in behavior analysis, there is one that I'm aware of, um, and more things coming out. Um, sort of prepackaged series that will guide you through the content of what you would be covering with your supervisee based on our, you know, the governing board's task list. That's different than how to supervise, right? Like what I should teach you is one thing. And frankly, that's pretty damn easy because our board tells us, or if you're going to be a psychologist, you know, you know what you're going to have to take on the E triple P or whatever their test is. I don't even know. If you're a social worker, you probably have, you know, a governing body that is laying out what are the things that you need to know. So the, the what, the content, like that's kind of easy peasy, right? The more 
nuanced and difficult piece is that second part you talked about is how to do it. And I think our field is just, just at the tip of the iceberg of trying to figure that out. And I think we're going to have to borrow from other fields. Um, and I think we're going to have to understand that it's sort of like parenting. Um, and to your question, there are probably some core things that are important to do. And then there's probably you know, a smorgasbord of other things that you can pick and choose from that may or may not work in a given situation. And so I suppose one of the critical components of good supervision is somehow to be evaluating the effects of your supervision so that you can change it if you need to, um, which also means that we as supervisors have to be open to being shaped. Um, we have to be willing to say, you know, my last three supervisees really struggled with learning this concept or with gaining this skill. And the common variable across those three experiences is me. <laughs> so I need to do something different. Yeah. Um, so, so no, I don't think there's a, a good prepackaged in behavior analysis, sort of here's how to be a great supervisor. Now in psychology and counseling and some other fields, there may be some some that could guide us um, in our field. Uh, but but I think, ugh, I, I don't know, I think it's going to be tricky. So I think, again, it'll be kind of, yeah. here, here are the main things, and then you got to add in, like, like, here are the basic ingredients for making a cake, but you have to figure out what flavor it's going to be, and is it going to be four layers or one layer, and are you going to have, you know, buttercream frosting or cream cheese frosting, yeah. so... <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this is a good time for anyone that's listening in to, if they, if they have any resources or knowledge of things inside any sort of field um, along these lines that are evaluating this, we'd love to check them out. So send them on in or comment them below. Um, cool. Well, I will okay. say really quick, Ryan, so, there are a couple of articles that have come out recently in our field in behavior analysis and practice, especially as the BACBR governing board um, kind of keeps adding more requirements for supervisors, um, which I think is fantastic because, again, that's going to shape our field forever, which is wonderful. Um, but so there are people trying to get out what are some core components or maybe these aren't core components, but it, it's at least things that, that the authors have done and have been successful for those authors. Um, and a lot of like supplementary tools, right? Sometimes an author will, um, there's a recent article by Garza et al. And the authors have this line in the uh, manuscript that says, you know, we created this really, really cool tool and you could contact the authors to get access to it. So of course I'm like, yeah, I'm going to contact you. I email them, they send it to me. It's amazing. So I think our, I think in behavior analysis, we're trying to do that. Um, people are, putting time and effort into thinking about the, the questions that you've asked me in a, in a thoughtful and structured way and trying to put that into writing and get it out to um, the field. So. so I had a question about, so Tyra, you said specifically that the, the board does a good job of telling us what we need to teach, right? We have this, this whole list of things that we should be teaching and what somebody who is coming out of supervision should know. Um, I know that's similar to psychology because I studied psychology as well, and it was kind of the APA kind of has these guidelines that they should that you know somebody coming as a psychologist should know. My question is, I think that, and I guess maybe more of a statement, but I think that we do a really good job of being able to look at what knowledge is needed for the field, for daily practice. We need to know what content we need to know, and we do a good job of kind of spelling that out. I think that something that's missing, and this is probably as our field evolves. 
something that's missing are these little nuancy things that you had mentioned, like how to supervise somebody. I don't know if we spell that out really well in general. I think that interpersonal relationships is something that I've noticed is really difficult. More recently, I sat in on a talk and they brought up just discussing ethics in your supervisory meetings, like regularly discussing ethics, not just talking about ethical dilemmas, but talking about ethics all the time. And um, that was kind of an eye opener for me as a supervisor, because I had never really done that. I'd taken a break as a supervisor for years uh, from formally supervising somebody because I wanted to be better at it. And that was one thing that's kind of shaped my practice. So that kind of goes to our question of like, you know, where, where do you think as a supervisor working in the field, as somebody who's published articles on this, where do you think that, what are some things that you think that we do well? And what are, where do we miss the mark? What are some things that we really sorely need to include in our supervision? Yep. Um, okay. So, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer from the perspective of the people that we're supervising probably will supervise other people, whether or not it's, you know, again, you're supervising at, um, a restaurant or you're supervising in behavior analysis, likely someday the person that you are supervising will have other people that they're trying to shape as well. So, um, I think, I think there are a, f a few things, I think, including ethics always, no matter what you're, no matter what field you're working in, right? How to identify potential ethical dilemmas, how to problem solve through ethical dilemmas, constantly talking about the fact that it, it's, there are all of these gray areas when it comes to ethics. And um, anytime you're, any content you're talking about, you can remind yourself that, oh, maybe we should also talk about the ethics around this, right? So like, maybe you're talking about um, in behavior analysis, you're covering um, how to run a preference assessment, a way to identify things that individuals like that you can then use in programming. Well, cool, you can talk about ethically why that's important and how ethics play into that. Is it ethical for us to only ever use edibles, right? Um, snacks in our programming, why it is or isn't? And what might some issues come up? When do you really have to consider that? And when do you not? And so I think you're absolutely right, Shane, to um, point out that we need to do a good job because identifying and dealing with ethical situations that skill set, that repertoire is sort of like the repertoire of social skills. It's not something you, you kind of get a book and read and then you know how to do it, like coding, right? Or like, you know, building Legos. There, I they added Legos <laughs> yes. in. There's always yes. a manual, right? Uh, because there are so many different iterations and so many different variables and you can take one ethical situation or one social situation and change one thing and all of a sudden now it's a successful social interaction or it's a failure or it's an ethical dilemma or it's not just by changing one thing. So I think we have to continually talk about those situations and expose supervisees to them. Um, I think we need to talk about out loud for supervisees our decision processes, our, all of the internal events that are happening, the thought processes that we're having when, like when we give someone feedback or we say, do this, don't do this, why? Or what are we attending to? What cues are indicating to us that something did or didn't work and why um, because again they're going to have to do that we want them to do that not only with on their own with their own behavior as they move through the world right um, because they're not going to be with the supervisor all the time but then we want them to be able to build that skill in their supervisees and we want them to be able to do that with their supervisees so I think being mindful of talking out loud all of the the 
decisions and things that we pay attention to as supervisors so that we can teach that and not just assume that somehow by osmosis, supervisees are going to understand that. So, um, and then probably general professionalism and interpersonal skills and considering, you know, linguistic and cultural diversity. Uh, it's important to talk about those things with your supervisees, no matter what field you're in. Um, and probably more important to talk about those if you are in a geographic area where things are not very diverse, maybe it's one predominant religion, maybe it's one predominant race, maybe um, it's one predominant socioeconomic class. So I think you're beholden even more to your supervisees to discuss that, to use a variety of examples, to think about, well, what would this be like if, for example, you were trying to, if you had some supervisees some trainees, some parents, whomever, who had English as a second language. How would you address that? What, what You might have to do some things differently. What would you need to do differently? Um, and so I think that's something that we, some people do well and other people probably just don't think about. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a whole <laughs> bunch of things. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's I, that nails it because I think that you know, because I, I, I'm sure that I missed up too when you talk about the supervisory repertoires, you talk about like what it means to be a supervisor, you talk about, I mean, you brought up cultural, like, you know, cultural competencies. I think that is such a big deal, a big social deal, especially nowadays, you know, being able to kind of, the, the political climate we're in now, being able to kind of talk about like what this looks like and what this means and some dilemmas that may come up in any of those circumstances that you're working in. So, right. Yeah. Ryan, you want to add anything? Side note real quick, like when I got into behavior analysis and everything seemed really linear and then I realized like nothing's like that simple. Um, so when I hear people now like talk about that in a, a thorough way, but it's not super technical, which is what you did there. It's like, awesome. This is more of what needs to be talked about just in the world in general. Like, yeah, right. It's not one, two, three, you know, or like something that clean. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So thank you. Cool. Nope. Um, All right. All right. So. As a supervisor, as somebody who has worked supervising people and has been successful with it, like it's like in kind of going back to the idea, like you, you're really well versed in it, you're really invested in it and kind of the idea of being better supervisors. What advice would you give yourself as an early supervisor? So. <laughs> um, damn, I was hoping you weren't going to ask that No, question. I love this question because I would tell my, I, I would tell myself as an early supervisor, don't for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that's exactly what I was going to say. It would be pump your brakes because you're not ready and then you're going to find yourself like in 2018 talking about supervision at a conference and you're going to have to apologize <laughs> to, you know, everybody that you supervise the first 3 years that you supervised cuz you sucked yeah. at it. Um, because especially back then there was no explicit instruction on how to supervise. Um or how not to, or who should, or who shouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would just be like, don't, don't do it. Don't like, don't, don't shy away from it, but like be more thoughtful before you choose to start supervising. Yeah. You know, you need to figure out how you're going to supervise. Why? First of all, why are you going to supervise? <laughs> right? right now? How are you going to supervise? And then how are you going to be able to know that you're doing well in your supervision? How are you going to measure that your supervision is, act is actually effective? And by effective, I mean both producing the change that you want in your supervisees and that it tastes good. Because if it doesn't taste good, most people aren't going to want to keep doing it. You know what I mean? There are, there are a few of us that 
that do really, really well in sort of like abusive, messed up relationships. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to love this person so much, <laughs> even though they're so awful and I'm going to get good stuff out of this. Most people are way smarter than that and they walk away. They'll be like, forget it. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to learn new stuff and be told that you're not doing it right just yet. Uh, so how do you, how, how do you make it palatable? How do you make it enjoyable? How do you make people persist in the face of being told like, nope, sorry, Shane, you didn't like, that's actually not exactly right. And let's keep going. So yeah, I totally would have told myself, don't <laughs> find yourself a couple of really good supervisors, watch the hell out of them, take notes, ask them questions before you ever do it. That I, that's what I would have said. Yeah. And it just comes back to this idea that it's uh, it's not something necessarily that you're innately born with, or you know, yeah. just uh, you, you. It takes practice, right? And right. it takes a lot of work, um, and we're still, in general, understanding what are the effective components to being a good supervisor, regardless yeah. of your role, your industry, the more. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, Ryan, you said something really important because I think some people think that just because they have like good people skills, that that means they're going to be a good supervisor. And it, it totally doesn't. Like if you don't have good, good people skills, you're going to struggle with being a good supervisor. But you can be like the coolest, like you're the person I want to hang out with, but be a terrible supervisor uh, because maybe you're not reflective, introspective, or you're a little ego -y or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So like it, it's true. You're not born with it. And there's not, you know, that just because you can talk a lot or people like to talk to you does not mean that you're an effective supervisor. Yeah, I will say as a little bit of a self-reflection to throw myself out there real quick, the that resonates with me. Um, specifically, I've been in a few different supervisory roles, um, and I've largely slid out of the ones that require um, a lot of oversight, essentially, on exactly what needs to be done. And it's a lot easier for me to kind of be like, here's the vision and what we're trying <laughs> to aim for. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, like we, we kind of know what that's going to look like, yeah. but we only 20% know of like how, you know, like we're figuring it out right? and like go, like I'll tell you if it's like <laughs> off track or not with the vision. Um, but if it's, if it's the, the nitty gritty of like, here's the specific <laughs> things, like I can't do that. And then I, so that resonates with me. Like I've, I feel like I've got the people skills there all pretty well. Um, but like, if I'm told like work with this team of 30, uh, five last team I really worked with that I was overseeing was about 35 people, um, for that were in a human service setting of about 115, uh, clients on a, like a day services program. And there's parts of it I could do well and enjoyed, um, which is another side tangent here is like some of it, I just didn't enjoy the actual work. Sure. Um, the work that you have to put into it is what I mean there. Um, there's some things that after about a year into that role specifically, I stepped back and I was like, I like not good at this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to not be doing this. Like I need to let someone else take this part over, wave the white flag, come back to it, wait, whatever it is, you know? Right. Um, so cool. I'm wondering if other people, um, if that'll resonate for them too. So if there's just any listeners out there, let me know. Um, <laughs> Cool. I, I hope so. I think, yeah. Ryan, kind of what you're getting at is it's, it's important to know what you're, what you're good at and what you're not and what you like and what you don't. And it's also important to constantly be evaluating. I don't know. I sort of frame it as like uh, 
if you don't know what you don't know, you're really in trouble. Like that's dangerous. So you have to constantly be figuring out like, what don't I know? And then do I not know it because I need to learn it? Or do I not know it because I actually don't like it and I like (laughs) avoid it? Um, And you know, there's no, that's not good or bad or right or wrong. But if you, if you're aware of those things, then you can put yourself in the best position to use the skills that you have or to learn the skills that you need to learn um, and be planful about it instead of just sort of, you know, like I'm just going to do my thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I, that was one of those things where I, I didn't know what I didn't know until probably halfway into the, my first <laughs> supervising, my first supervisee. And I remember she came to me with all the experience forms that we have to sign for behavior analyst. And she's like, we have to sign all these. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and it was like, and I remember being like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I just stopped. And I stopped supervising after that for a little while. And I was like, I need to get in order. I need to get my own, you know, stuff in order to be able to yep. do this. And then, uh, then my next set of supervisees, it was the same kind of thing where I had a structure and stuff, but I didn't have time to dedicate. And I, and I yeah. was still was like, yeah, no, I want to do this. I want to help you. And, uh, and that's not why you should supervise either. Like if you don't have the time, do not do it. Um, because it really, it really gets in the way and it really impacts that supervisee. And, you know, I, I've, like you said, I've spent too much time apologizing the previous supervisees, even though they're, even though they're all board certified now, they're all good. But, uh, I spent too much time being like, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but that also is modeling for them. Uh, good mentorship because you're not their supervisor anymore, but you're still invested in their success and you want them to move forward and you're going back and repairing and saying, Hey, remember this thing? <laughs> you know, like, don't do that. Don't, in case you were worried, I'm sure you <laughs> were able to identify that that was the thing that you shouldn't do. I just want to make sure you know that you were right about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things. It's like, oh, by the way, I realized I taught you wrong. I realized you taught me, or that you right. You realized that you realized that I taught you wrong. Yes. Let's just kind of get that back out there. <laughs> You're right. I was wrong. I've better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's super um, meta, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Though I will say, I think there's one skill, um, and it's not necessarily. I mean, it becomes a skill. I think at first, it's it's more of just a response. That if you, um, that I think you should not supervise if you are the kind of person who absolutely cannot find a way to give people corrective feedback when they really need it. If you're the kind of person that like you are, it's so unpleasant, it gives you the heebie-jeebies or you just do, you don't want to make people feel bad or you can't find a way to say things. I would much rather have a supervisee that was point blank, said things in a rude way and didn't consider the supervisee's feelings, but at least said those things. Mm-hmm. I still don't love that, but I would rather that than someone who literally won't say the things that need to be said that will avoid it um, because you are, you're doing a disservice to your supervisee and you're doing a disservice to anybody that they're going to supervise mm-hmm. in the future and you're doing a disservice to all the clients and you're doing a disservice to your field. So if you're the kind of person that can't figure out a way to give corrective feedback, you should just bow out of supervision because that's one of the whole points of supervising. And I have seen that happen a lot and try to coach people, you know, like it's okay to just, for example, it's okay to say like, you know, Hey Shane, I'm, I have to have a conversation with you about my last observation and I, I'm a little uncomfortable and I think this is going to make you unfeel- feel uncomfortable too, but we just, there are a couple of things that you did that we need to talk about. It's okay to just say that. It's okay to tell your supervisee, 
some funky stuff is about to happen and <laughs> I feel weird about it, but I value you enough and I value your, um, your future self, right. That I want you to become the best mm-hmm. Shane that you can be in this field that I'm willing to have this conversation with you. And the more you do that, the more that will get shaped up and the less you'll get freaked out before you have to tell somebody that they sucked at something. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do that, that's just, to me, that's like, you're just dead in the water. Just, just stop, just stop and don't supervise. Right. That was one of the, uh, early skill. That's one of the things I've been developing in certain contexts and I still cannot do in some contexts. And it was one of those things I realized that under, yes, yeah, some of those contexts, it's just like, I cannot do this well. So <laughs> that is somebody else that's knocking that out. Yeah. Um, but I can do it extremely well in other things. Um, it's interesting where those divides are. Yeah, I was going to say one thing that I remember I, I've kind of realized about my own corrective feedback is that I can give it well. And sometimes I give it so abruptly without without realizing that it's that it could be not necessarily timing, but I realize that I'm kind of just like, yeah, don't do that again. And uh, and I realize that sometimes like, I'll say stuff without like enough tact where, uh, yeah. you know, I don't think it's ever offensive because I think that I kind of am personable enough that it doesn't come across offensive. But I realize later I'm like, I should have said that a different way. And I'll say that to supervisor, you know, I probably should have said it this way and not like kind of like, yep. hey, don't do that. Hey, try not to get stabbed. You know, like I'll say like stuff like that. And next time, try not to get stabbed, you know, and I'll say stuff like that and not be very... Um, very tactful or very uh you know or, or really even like i'll be clear but not thorough enough and so i catch myself doing that as a supervisee or a supervisor where i'll say you know this is what you should do instead okay you got it cool all right and instead of being like do you understand it can we do you want to explain it right. back to me and um so i've kind of done i've kind of as as a supervisor now i've kind of taken that role where i'm like does that make sense to you? I, like, can you explain what I just said? Or like, can you throw it back to me and kind of like, give me the idea, like what you got out of that so that, you know, I know that you're leaving this with some kind of new skill or some kind of new knowledge or some kind of new thought process. Like, you know, think about right. this, like, think about what you're doing. Like, why are you doing what you do? So, right. Yeah. And that's that whole piece of evaluating the effects of your supervision, right? I just gave you, I just hit you with some knowledge and now I'm going to be about my way or I'm going to hit you with some knowledge and then I'm going to find out if you actually got that knowledge. <laughs> right. Like, did that actually, you know, did that stick? Do you understand it? Um, and I think that's kind of like just uh, that moment to moment checking on um, your effectiveness. But sometimes I think in a supervisor relationship, depending on your supervisee, you get to the point where you can just be very direct. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you're not taking data after every trial if you're working with a young kid with autism <laughs> or, hell? you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for some people, I think that works. You just need, like, again, as a supervisor, you have to have really, really, your behavior has to constantly be informed by your supervisee. Um, and so you have to be willing to be flexible and change the way you talk to certain people, um, you know, unless, like, you're some huge big wig person and you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I certainly have not arrived there in my career yet. Soon, so. soon. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, I hope not. God, I hope not. <laughs> oh, man. I guess the, the only other question I had, because I could talk about supervision all day. Like, I think it's just like a really neat topic. It's yeah. really, because I think it's so nuanced and so like important and just, I think it's so great. But what is one concept that you would want to convey to anybody who's getting into supervision? So anybody who's going to supervise somebody, anybody who is going to oversee a program, anybody who is going to be the ex- the subject matter expert, maybe in a in a clinic setting, um, somebody who is yeah. in that like supervisory role, what what 
concept would you want to convey to the people that are getting into that? <laughs> Dear, people. Dear people of the world, the guiding, uh, yeah, the guiding words. Um, <laughs> should you supervise? I think the I think that if everybody in every supervisory position, regardless of your area of focus or your field or whatever, if you understood that you will have multiplicative effects, like the effects of your supervision are kind of ad infinitum, right? So like if you do a great job in anything, in any topic, in any interaction, you're more likely to do a good job in the future. Your supervisee is more likely to, to do well in that moment, but they're also more likely to then do a good job when they are supervising other people. And so if you think like, for example, uh, I've been in this field 25 years. So if you just mathematically, and that is certainly not my strong suit, but if you think like, okay, maybe over my time, I've supervised, let's just say a hundred people. And if each of those hundred people then go in their career and they supervise a hundred people, like there's a lot of zeros behind yeah. that now. Like we're getting into big numbers. And so that to me is the most important concept. Like take this seriously because you have the power to do good forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Like the half-life of your supervision is like is a bajillion mm -hmm. years. Like just have integrity and do a good job because it will echo forever. That's yeah. The end. Yes. So what I've realized is that I'm not going to supervise anymore until I can get better yes. at it. <laughs> I just want to see yes real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. That was fantastic. No. Just enough passion. Just enough uh, instruction. Just enough like oh, so boxy on that. Love it. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Awesome. Um, Ryan, do you have anything else? I don't have anything that I could add. I'm like, I'm just so stoked right now like i'm like i'm like ready to get into the, the supervision stuff and like start would, digging into it more again yes. <laughs> yeah i've got i've got two things um one which you probably already hit but just maybe for sake of clarification i'd say if you kind of had to summarize like some some places people could go to learn more um about anything related to supervision do you do you have anything like that um that could be things that you've been researching looking at that we can link below um that could be a book, you know, a mainstream book that you really clinged on to, really anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. So I think in terms of resources, uh, anything by Aubrey Daniels is going to be awesome, whether or not it's, um, you know, more behavior analytic or kind of like the Oops book mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Those are great. Um, the Bailey and Birch book that is just about how to be an effective um, consultant for a behavior analyst. But I think that is would be applicable for any human service setting. Um, hold on. There's another book by uh, Reed um, and folks. It's a supervision book. Um, and it focuses sort of more. I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I'm trying to find it. It focuses more on supervising in um, like adult human service setting um shoot it's, why can't right i see here. it it's a super, oh, supervisor's it's, guidebook yeah 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 it's right there good <laughs> job the supervisor's guidebook that's a great one so like the first time i developed an eight hour the the required eight hour supervisor training um that that our board requires right in behavior analysis for people who are going to supervise um i i use a ton of material from that so it's excellent 
And then I would say there are a truckload of articles in behavior analysis and practice in the last couple of years that are fantastic. You know, there's some on, uh, there's one on ethics by Broadhead et al. There's another one on working on interdisciplinary teams. Um, there's some great ones by LeBlanc, Valentino, the one by Garza that I mentioned, um, Turner and Fisher and Luiselli. There are there's a whole special edition, um, I think in 2016 or 17 in behavior analysis and practice. And those articles, even though many of them are really sort of written to help guide people who are supervising folks mm. who are working towards becoming board certified behavior analysts, they would be appropriate for any human service um, setting. You know, a lot of the strategies in there are just about good supervision in general. So even in psychology or what have you, I think those would be appropriate. So I think there are lots and lots of great resources that are that are that are out there and that are coming out there. Uh, the Dale Carnegie go- book from like forever ago, Winning Friends, Friends and, Influencing and Influencing People. people. No lie, yeah. like behavior analysts sometimes want to think like, eh, that's beneath us or whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> we need that book. <laughs> Get that book, read that right, book. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So before we hit record, um, you all talked about what was on your bookshelves because for the <laughs> listeners here, we we have a, a video stream going since we're working remotely um, on this recording, and uh, then we record the audio as well. And both Doctor uh, Sellers as well as uh, Shane were talking about what was on their bookshelves <laughs> before we hit record, and it, it was brought up the uh, the Lego reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can we just like, do you mind just rehashing that a little bit, like? what you guys were talking about as if it was back then. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I know it started by um, me being interested in the bookshelf behind Shane and really hoping that there were some Lego sets on there because I can't actually see. So that's sort of where it yeah, started. And then uh, basically what ended up happening was we talked about Lego sets that we had and then it turned into, um, you know, I've got this Ghostbusters Lego set, and Dr. Sellers has this, uh, uh, the Beatles Lego set on, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. And so now we're, at, at some point, we're talking about the Simpsons and Ghostbusters and all the Marvel movies that are coming out and the Beatles, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. And then we realized like how nerdy behavior analysts can be, and that's the best thing in the world. <laughs> That's definitely true. Uh, yeah, I, I love a Lego. So I have two sons and they have always been into Legos. My husband's really into Legos. Uh, I usually get a Lego set from my family for my birthday um, and for Christmas. So <laughs> we have a lot of Legos in our family. Um, I think uh, there's an opportunity um, even to now, I don't know, maybe Shane, you might know more about this, but in, I think it's super cool in Lego. You can um, like submit ideas and if you get enough uh, people liking it or whatever, then they'll actually make that as a set, which I think probably Shane, we should figure out a way, like maybe we need like a BF Skinner <laughs> Lego set or so. I don't know. I feel like there's, I feel like there's a probably, market. There have to be enough. We could do like once lab. Like we could get that, like we could submit yes. that. That would be cool. Um, yeah, I, we we have to just figure that out. Like like almost like a like a Skinner box. Like I don't know how many people would vote for that. Absolutely. But. <laughs> no, like rat rat noses, yeah. right? Like that's that's a thing. I think that would be, be awesome. And by the way, if you don't know this, Ryan, there are Lego games. So you, it's like a board game, but you have to build it first. Okay. And then okay. You play it. I don't know. This. They're uh, they're amazing. Okay. They're so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, and this doesn't really count 
but it was awesome. Legoland. Okay. I've been to Legoland. It's great. And uh, completely <laughs> fascinated. Um, I have a couple things in my life. Um, Legos may or may not be on there, but it's like if I'm like I'm over this whole chapter of my professional <laughs> career and I just want to do something right? else, uh, one of them's magic. And okay. then I remember the the experience of uh, walking around Legoland and like feeling like, wow, I could just like hang out in this area yeah. for 10 yeah. years and like yeah. be really happy <laughs> yes. and learn a lot and and uh, I, whatnot. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. uh, my next career would, I would probably be a gardener. Just okay. get, yeah. get my hands dirty. Don't talk to me. I'm listening to music and I'm, I'm digging in the dirt and <laughs> I would be really happy. I don't know if I have like a different career, but I know that when I retire, um, the joke is that I would be a mall Santa because my beard is becoming so oh. gray already. And I'm like, you know, just in my thirties, like it's, I'm, I'm going to be so gray by the time I retire that like, I'll be able to just like go hang out at the mall and make kids happy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a great yeah, second. I'm good with that. <laughs> A behavior analyst, yeah. Santa. I That's think it. That yeah, it's point. a lot of if-then contingencies. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about the list. It's about what you do. <laughs> cool. Thank you for sitting with us and chatting with us about supervision and kind of Legos and all the other <laughs> stuff that we got to talk about. Um, it was a lot of fun and, and really inspiring. I think it'll be do a great service for people who are getting into supervision in any field. So we appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, we'll make sure to direct any questions. If anybody has anything specific on supervision, remember show notes, we have everything uh, linked down below there that, that was mentioned throughout this. Um, and we can also relay specific questions or um, whatnot. So if anyone's interested in connecting, uh, at the end of the show, it, it talks about how to do those sort of things, whether it's on social platforms, email, phone, um, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. So glad we, we got this. Yeah. Together. Yeah. It's been a long time in the making. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So I guess with that said, um, this is Ryan O and. And Shane Spiker. <laughs> and we're signing off. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.